So glad that you are here today. We are in this third part of our message series, Who Needs God? And what we've been saying for the past uh, several weeks is that there are a whole lot of people. There are a whole lot of people, and you might be one of them, who find yourself stuck between God and something else. You're just kind of in the middle. And if you are in the middle, if you're watching online or listening and you find yourself in the middle, you have a group, and that group is the nuns. And that's N-O-N-E, not to be confused with Catholic nuns, nuns. You don't affiliate with anybody. None is your category. And the reason that you're a nun, what we talked about in the very first week, was probably, for a lot of you, if you are a nun, you're struggling with faith, or you're losing your faith, or you're trying to find faith, it wasn't because necessarily that you are drawn to disbelief. Rather, there are things about God, the Bible, faith, Jesus, spirituality, the list goes on and on and on about things that are quite unsettling to you. And we didn't argue that there wasn't. We absolutely fundamentally agree that there are things about the Christian faith that sometimes don't make sense and that other times are quite unsettling. But at the same time, living in a world without God might be just as unsettling. There was no denying that either. And so where does that leave you if you are a nun and if you are caught in the middle? Well, I would argue, and maybe it's perhaps oversimplified, but I would argue that on the one hand, you have God, and with God, you have doubts. And on the other hand, you don't have God, and you have despair. Doubt and despair. And though, man, you're like, man, those are terrible options. I thought I was coming to church today to be encouraged and uplifted, and instead I'm told uh, no matter which way I choose, believe or disbelief, I'm either going to have despair or doubt. Now, the reason I say that is, again, it's not because atheism is so appealing that people are walking away from faith or that you're losing your faith or that you're struggling with faith. It isn't that you're sitting at home and you're like, you know what makes a lot more sense? Disbelief. Perhaps that is you, but for the most people, you actually grew up in or around the church. The largest group of nuns in the United States are people who grew up in and around the church. They grew up going to Sunday school, reading the Bible, praying at night. And then they became an adult and they stopped. And again, it wasn't because they became an adult and they said, oh, atheism makes a whole lot more sense. Rather, it was that Christianity became unappealing to them. Last week, Dan pointed out that a lot of the gods we grew up believing in don't actually exist. As a matter of fact, at one point in Dan's message, he said, if you stop believing in these gods, great good for you. They never existed to begin with. Um, That's awesome. Okay. So if you were losing your faith, what we wanted to challenge you last week was perhaps you were losing your faith or lost your faith in a God that never existed to begin with. That was the first two weeks of the series and we've been deconstructing a lot and we're going to continue the deconstruction portion of our series today, but we're going to transition to talking about the Bible. And I have a feeling that for many of you, whether you're watching, listening, or here today, I have a feeling that for those of you who are struggling with faith, that today's topic is a big obstacle for you. I know that personally for me, after finding God and having the life-changing moment where I found Jesus and my life was forever changed, I remember a few years later being at seminary and struggling with faith because of the Bible. You are not alone if that's you today, and that's why we're going to talk about it. I want your help today. Finish this line for me if you can. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible, 
for the Bible tells me so. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. The kids down the hallway could tell it to you. You guys probably grew up hearing this, even if you didn't grow up in the church. And this is honestly where all of our problems begin. You grew up, but your nursery rhymes did it, and your faith did it. And it's possible. As a matter of fact, it's more than possible. It's likely that you outgrew your faith. And part of that is because your understanding, our understanding of the Bible, never left the baby room. I understand how we get there. I understand how we got there. I understand that you're wrestling with that this morning. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. And that is so problematic. There are implications behind that statement. And the implication being this, Jesus loves you. How do you know? Well, the Bible tells me so. Okay, well, what if we challenge the Bible? So Jesus loves you because the Bible says, well, what if I found something wrong with the Bible? Here, you can help me out again. Some of you will know this one if you grew up in church. The Bible says it that none of you settles it. The Bible says it that settles it. So how do I know Jesus loves me? Well, because the Bible tells me so. How do I know I can trust the Bible? The Bible settled it. And it's a round and circular argument that I hope makes you very uncomfortable this morning. If it doesn't make you uncomfortable, let me explain why I think it should, okay? The reason that people, and you are probably one of them, you grew up in or around the church, and then you went off to college, or you left home for the first time as an adult, and you had a professor of some archaeology class that you had to take to get your degree, and so did everyone else sitting around you. Nobody takes those classes because they're fun. And the professor stands up at the beginning of class and he says, you know that there is no archaeological evidence that the Hebrew people made any sort of trek out of Egypt to Canaan, what they call the promised land. No archaeological proof. Okay, well, you know, you might, maybe he's wrong. Okay, A friend tells you, you heard in Sunday school how the Israelites marched around the walls of Jericho six, seven times, whatever it was, and they came fumbling, crumbling down. Yeah, there's no evidence for that. They've actually excavated Jericho. No walls. Huh. You get on Facebook and you see that somebody posts about how the Bible seems to teach that the earth is only 6,000 years old, but everybody knows that the earth is actually 4.55555 billion years old and the universe is 14.55555 billion years old. And so you do what I do, which is what we all do, and we go to Google and we look up this stuff on Wikipedia, and to our surprise or to our horror, they're telling the truth that there is no evidence that the Hebrew people left Egypt, that there is no evidence that the walls at Jericho came crumbling down, that, man, it really does look like the earth might be 4.555 billion years old. And since your theology was about this deep, it was built on, the Bible tells me so, and the Bible says it, so that settles it, you abandon faith. And the reason you abandon faith was because of the Bible. But it wasn't the whole Bible. The reason you abandoned faith and you abandoned the Bible was because there were parts of the Bible that just didn't make sense to you. You were asking fact-based questions, and in response, you were getting shallow faith-based answers. And that's why I think that there are so many Christians, and you might be one of them, and I hope that after today I put your mind to ease, but you might feel like you're one of these people that you have to defend the Bible. 
every single word in there from the beginning to the end. Because if the Bible crumbles, so does your faith. Because your faith was built on the Bible. And what you will find out, if you have tried this for any period of time, you will find that it is nearly impossible, if not completely impossible, to defend the Bible and everything written in it from beginning to end. And I got to speak directly for a moment to the parents. If you have kids in here today, or you know someone who has kids, I want to tell you this, okay? If your version of Christianity, if your version of faith hangs by the thread of proving that everything in the Bible is true, you might be able to hang on, but your kids will not. You might be able to hang on to that thread, but the next generation won't. And so because I love my kids and I know that you love your kids, we have to have a hard conversation this morning in this series about the Bible. So that way, when our kids grow up and they leave the home for the first time, they don't leave their faith at home. That's what I hope I can change this morning, okay? But there is very good news this morning. And that is simply stated, it is absolutely and positively unnecessary to prove that everything in the Bible is true. It is completely unnecessary. I'm going to spend the rest of my time explaining why it's unnecessary. If you disconnected from Christianity because of problems with the Bible, then I believe wholeheartedly that you left Christianity unnecessarily. The Christian faith does not exist because of the Bible. The Bible exists because of the Christian faith. I can illustrate this for you in a way that makes a lot of sense. You do not exist because of your birth certificate. Your parents didn't go to the courthouse, fill out paperwork, and then poof, there you were. The exact opposite. Your parents did not get a birth certificate until you came into the world. And then on that birth certificate, that's when they started to fill out the form. How long were they? How much did they weigh? What time were they born? What's their name? And then you got that. Now, some of you also know this to be true. You've tested this theory about what I'm about to say. If you lose your birth certificate, and some of you have, if you lose your birth certificate, you did not cease to exist. Wow, you're still here. Your birth certificate may not be, but you are. Why? Because your birth certificate has nothing to do with your existence. Your birth certificate exists because of you. And in the same way, if we were to lose the Bible, poof, all the blue Bibles in the room disappeared, all the Bibles in the world disappeared, our faith does not cease to exist. And I'm not speculating. It already happened. For hundreds of years, our faith grew and blew up and had a ton of momentum and went from this small little movement with a dozen followers or so to millions of followers all over the world, all before they had the Bible as we have it today. Let's talk about that. Today, we use what is called the Gregorian calendar. But in the first century when Jesus was live, he used the Julian calendar. There, I said my two big words for the day. We're going to move on, okay? All you got to know is that Jesus and the people living in Jesus's time 2,000 years ago had a completely different calendar than what you and I had. The whole ADBC thing didn't start until about 500 years after Jesus. Now, this is funny, or at least I hope you think it's funny. Um, they messed up. They messed up. So BC stands before Christ, AD stands for Latin, the year of our Lord. Okay, so BC, AD, okay, we got that, okay. Uh, Jesus was actually born two or three BC. 
He was born two or three years before he was born the year of our Lord, okay? Seriously, you can't make this up. They made some mistakes in making our calendar. So it is actually February 18th, 2021 or 2022 right now, which I can put you to ease. This is unrelated to everything we're talking about today. But the next time you see somebody post on Facebook or Instagram that the world is going to end on month, day of this year, rest assured that that day has already passed. It was a couple years ago, okay? Because they got the calendar wrong, okay? So everyone's like, okay, the world's not going to end. No, it's not, okay? Now, that's when Jesus was born, two to three years before he was born. And most historians would conclude that Jesus was crucified somewhere around 30 or 33 AD. So you have a window here. Now, most historians, if not all, they, they've, the Jesus debate is over. We have a ton of evidence that Jesus was alive. I don't think anybody, believer or non-believer, is going to argue that Jesus wasn't a real person. We have a ton of evidence, so we know that. Okay, so historians would say he was crucified around 30, 33 AD, which puts him at roughly 33 to 36 years old at the time he died. And you probably know how the rest of the story goes. He's died, he's buried, he um, is raised from the dead, he ascends to heaven. Shortly after that, the early church is, is born. And then the early church, those first Christians, they go around telling everyone, hey, we saw Jesus died. We found the empty tomb. We've seen him alive, both of which are things that Jesus predicted while he was alive and he's alive. And then they go around and they confront the people who killed Jesus. They said, hey, you killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now it's time to say you're sorry. And they did. And this small Jesus movement of dozens to hundreds turns into a Jesus movement of thousands and even millions. 33 A.D. The next important date that I want to talk about to you today is 70 AD. Between 66 and 70 AD, for some of you people who really like history in the room, you already know where I'm going with this, but this was the siege of Jerusalem. Rome goes in between 66 and finishes the job in the year 70, destroying Jerusalem. I mean, they just break it down. They burned the temple. They crucified thousands of Jews. They shipped thousands more off into the slave markets. And this is absolutely, positively one of the most sorrowful, painful, and unimaginable moments in the history of Judaism. But it's never mentioned in the Bible. For a lot of you, you're like, well, why wouldn't it be? I mean, Luke was a doctor and he was a historian and Luke goes through and and ties himself to specific days and months and events. Why didn't he? Uh, Paul writes to churches who are going through different things contextually that we know about, whether that's famine or immorality of some sort around them. So why didn't anyone in the New Testament write about this? This is a really big deal. The answer actually is not very complicated. It hadn't happened yet. It hadn't happened yet. Why wouldn't you write about it? Because you already wrote your letter, and then the siege happened. So I would argue this morning that that leaves us with a 35 to 40 year window in which most, if not all, of the New Testament was written. Now there are a few historians who would argue that the Bible wasn't written, the New Testament wasn't written until much, much later. To do that, they have to explain away some evidence and some facts like, why didn't anyone mention the siege of Jerusalem? Okay, so to have a later date of the New Testament, you have to actually ignore historical evidence. Why would somebody do this? Well, I would argue, and they might disagree with me, but I would argue that they are trying to kill the eyewitnesses. 
They're trying to kill the eyewitnesses of the Bible because think about it, how easy would it be if the Bible was written or the New Testament was written 100 or 200 years after Jesus, who was there? Who could say otherwise? Who could say that didn't happen? It could have been a fable. It could have been a legend. After all, nobody would know. But the fact is, is that the Bible was written before the siege of Jerusalem, which means all of the eyewitnesses were still alive. People who saw Jesus do the miracles, people who had family members who had been healed by Jesus, people who had fish and bread at one of the sermons Jesus was preaching. They're like, no, I was there. I can testify that that actually happened. It happened in the lifetime. This makes the most historical sense. Now, what happens is, is that these documents are New Testament. They were written. And what begins to happen is that they are copied and distributed throughout the entire Roman Empire. And this is a really, really, really big deal because this is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before the invention of the printing press. Aha. So how does one get a copy of Luke's gospel? I'm glad you asked. Well, you grabbed a pen and you grabbed a piece of paper and you started writing. Except it wasn't pen and paper. It was a lot more expensive than that because this was before pen and paper. And so they spent a lot of money and they spent a lot of time. And I want you to imagine going home right now and how long it would take you to write out the entire book of Acts. And yet that's how dedicated they were to it. And why would you waste the time? Why would you waste the money? Why would you put in all of the effort to write down Acts if you knew it wasn't true? If you were alive when that stuff happened, you're like, there wasn't, there wasn't 3,000 believers after that day. There aren't people all over. There aren't churches in Ephesus. There aren't churches in Corinth. Why would I waste my time? My uncle Jim Bob Cooter lives in Ephesus. There's no church there. But that's not what happens. Instead of hundreds of people saying that didn't happen, millions of people start following Jesus. There's only one way that happened happens, and that's if it happened. So they're writing down the Bible. And now sometimes here's what you'll hear. You'll hear someone say, you can't trust the Bible. There's so many variations of the Bible. I'm glad you said that because I believe in our blue Bibles and I believe in your Bibles. And if you're using the Bible app, anytime there is a variation, you're going to see a very tiny little number at the end of the sentence. And you look at that number and you go to the bottom of the page and then right there on the page, it explains what the difference is. Perhaps it was a missing comma. Perhaps they used a different word in some of the other translations. But they explain why. And why do we explain that? We have nothing to hide. It's not a secret. We know that between if I copy down Luke and you copy down Luke and you copy down Luke and then Dan copies down Luke, we know that somebody's going to leave out a period, Right? Okay, but here's the important thing in those variations. There is no significant theological difference. What do I mean? I'll break it down really easy for you. Um, Matthew says that Jesus died on a cross and rose again three days later. The variations that we have don't contradict that. It's not like there's another version of Matthew out there that says, no, Jesus didn't die on a cross. He was actually cleaning his gutters and fell off a ladder. It didn't happen like that. The variations that we're talking about are so small that they do not make a theological difference. They don't contradict how we should live or what we should believe. Think again about all the time and money that would go into writing down all of these letters. We're not talking about just Philemon, a little one-page letter. We are talking about Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel and Acts. This was a major, major endeavor. 
Now, let's move on. A few hundred years go by. There are now thousands of copies of what we would uh, call the documents in our New Testament, but they were not organized in the form that we have it today. It was not called the Bible. It was not called the New Testament. Libraries certainly had them at this point set up like that, but it was not official yet because Christianity was still illegal. So one church might have like Luke's gospel and then a letter that Paul wrote, and another church might have this letter and that letter, but they did not have all 27 books like we have them today in our New Testament. And yet, despite it being illegal, despite Christians being killed in very horrific ways, despite all of these things, our faith spread at an unprecedented rate. And we've never come back to spreading as quickly as we did in those first 300 years. And it all happened before anybody had a Bible. Our faith grew the most. Our faith grew the quickest. Our faith spread in ways that we've never seen it quite come back to that before anyone had a Bible in their hand. As a matter of fact, you might think this is funny. Maybe you don't. Um, the mother of the emperor of the Rome at the time, Constantine, Constantine's mom becomes a Christian. What's an emperor to do when your mom becomes a believer and it's illegal? Well, Constantine makes it legal. Not because he's a good son, not because he's a believer, but actually if you read the history into Constantine, most of the Roman Empire was now a Christian. If you can't beat them, join them. So he lifted the ban on Christianity, and as a matter of fact, he named it the official religion of the Roman Empire. Not because he believed. As a matter of fact, he was on his deathbed when he was baptized, and if you look into that, like the day he died, he actually did several different religious things. He was trying to cover all of his bases, okay? So including baptism. Christianity had become too difficult to fight against. Christianity had spread too far. There was too much influence. And all of that happened before the Bible. People didn't believe. Those first people did not believe that Jesus loved them because the Bible told them so. Those first people didn't have faith because the Bible settled it. And if you left Christianity because, well, oh, in the Bible, there's this one part, there's this one verse and this one chapter and this one book that I don't understand. And, and that's why you walked away from faith. Um, I think you left for the wrong reasons. And I'm not trying to make light of your situation or your belief system at all. But what I'm telling you is that our faith grew long before anybody was arguing about these things. People didn't choose to follow Jesus because of an infallible Bible. They didn't die brutal deaths because of an inerrant Bible. And they didn't launch a movement because of an inspired Bible. All of those things may be true, could be true, are probably true. But all of it happened because of a man. Our faith grew because of Jesus. For the first 300 years of our faith, the debate centered on an event, not a book. The question was not, is the Bible true? The question was, did Jesus rise from the dead? And Matthew said that he did. And Mark said that he did. And Luke said that he did. And John said that he did. And Peter said that he did. And James, his brother, said that he did. Anyone who has siblings knows just how difficult that would have to be. Okay, it had to be true. And Paul, who hated Christians, came to the conclusion that he did. There is absolutely no explanation for the success of the early church had it not been true. 
Christianity does not hang by the thread of the Bible tells me so. And if your entire life, your thing has been, I've got to defend the Bible. I've got to protect it. I can't listen to this message right now because he's telling me that the Bible says so isn't good enough. I am sorry that your faith is fragile because before the Bible, our faith was fearless. Before the Bible, our faith was compassionate. Before the Bible, our faith was endurable and compelling. And most importantly, our faith was irresistible. And now that you're a grown-up, I'm challenging you to embrace the grown-up God and to embrace a grown-up view of the Bible. Jesus loves me. This I know. For John, who was his best friend, and watched him die, and then went to the empty tomb and found nobody there, and then found Jesus a few days later alive, and then watched him ascend into heaven, wrote about it to tell me so. Jesus loves you, this you know. For Luke, who was a doctor and historian, who meticulously conducted interviews and went around place to place asking questions, made sure it was so. Jesus loves us, this we know, because a Pharisee who hated Christians, arrested Christians, killed Christians, could have single-handedly stopped the Jesus movement by himself, became a follower of Jesus named Paul, and then he risked his life to travel all around the non-Jewish world so that Gentiles, non-Jews, you and me, that we would know it was so. Jesus loves me, this I know, because his original followers were willing to die to let us know it was so. The early church defied the entire Roman Empire to the point where Rome had to lift the ban on Christianity because it became too much. Not because the Bible says so, but because of who Jesus is. Our faith is not about a what. Our faith is about a who. It has everything to do with who Jesus claimed he was. It has everything to do that Jesus lived the life that we should have lived. He died the death that we all deserved. And that his earliest followers and that the eyewitnesses of the time corroborated together and said, yeah, that happened just like Luke says, just like Mark says, just like John said. They documented what they saw, not what they believed. They weren't writing a tenets of faith document. They weren't writing position papers. They were writing historical texts so that you and I would know. If you stepped away or are stepping away or are struggling with faith or losing your faith or trying to regain your faith because of something in the Bible, please, oh please, reconsider. Seriously, our faith never should have been about whether or not the entirety of the Bible is true. Our faith is, has, and always will be, be all about Jesus and who he is. Christianity didn't disrupt the entire Roman Empire because of a true Bible. Christianity disrupted the entire Roman Empire because of a resurrected Savior. Jesus loves us, this we know, for he lived the life we should have lived, died the death we all deserve to prove it was so. And if you have stepped away from Christianity because of the Bible, I'm convinced you stepped away from faith for the wrong reasons.